Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. One of the reasons uh, that you're here today is that your book, Faith of My Fathers, just out in paperback, mm-hmm. uh, published mm-hmm. by Harper Perennial. And one of the things about your book, about Brokaw's book, about the greatest generation, is it has stirred in young people in the country today sort of a renewed sense of patriotism, an understanding of what it means to be an American. And one of the things I wonder about is in this world, which is becoming increasingly homogenized, increasingly globalized, is it possible to have a positive kind of patriotism without it becoming a negative kind of nationalism? I, I, I think you can. And by the way, I'd add one more factor, uh, saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, that that was in one of the most impactful movies. And I know that it was very graphic in its violence, but... I hope that every young American at the appropriate time could uh, could see that movie. And yeah, Tom Brokaw's book. Um, I, I think Jeff, without rambling on, I think there was a vein out there of patriotism um, due to a lot of things, including relatively good times and this World War II generation, which is leaving us at thirty thousand a month, being appreciated. Is a, is a kind of a remarkable phenomenon. And as you mentioned, young people seem to be the ones who respond so enthusiastically and so gratefully and so emotionally to them. You know, when I would have the town hall meetings in my campaign, I'd, I'd say, you know, we'd like to thank the greatest generation. Would you raise your hands or stand? And young people would just, you know, it was, a, it was perhaps one of the most moving aspects of uh, of the political campaign and so i'm i think it's a wonderful thing and it's a great sign about oh, it's a, i think it says something about americans it also mined another vein and it's something that as as you looked at what you were able to do in your campaign we, we look today at so much of marketing whether it's products or politics and it's very segregated it's generational oriented or it's class oriented one of the things that your message and your campaign and your book faith of my fathers is able to do is cross all of those lines and appeal to a broad section of generations and groups. Well, I hope so. You know, it's a, basically a book about a father and a grandson and a, uh, a father, grandfather, father and son, uh, who were imperfect people who, who tried to serve their country and were ennobled by by the experience. And again, I'd, I'd like to say that I think that the one and most exciting aspect of my campaign was that young Americans responded in a very positive fashion to a message that we are the greatest force for good. It's nobling to serve your country. We can make the world a better place, whether it be in Africa or in Central Europe or spreading freedom and democracy throughout the world. Young Americans want to serve and they want to give back. And I think part of this, going back to our previous comment, was motivated by the example of this greatest generation. Mm -hmm. So it really is the modeling of those previous generations and the modeling of that kind of service in the past, which which has gotten lost uh, for which got lost for a long time. I think so, and I I, and I you know I want to temper our our comments a bit with the fact that young Americans are still incredibly cynical and alienated about Washington and the political process, and they have every right to be. They are not represented, and they're not going to vote. In the 1998 election, there was the lowest voter turnout in the history of the 18 to 34-year-olds. We're going to see the same thing uh, this time, and we've got to clean up this, this huge 
pernicious, evil influence of so much money in American politics, which shuts them out. Is it just the money that shuts them out? Is it just the money that creates that cynicism, or is there something else out there creating it? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, a lot of young Americans got cynical about the Lewinsky scandal. I don't think, but I don't think that that was a very permanent kind of thing. I I really think that they are correct in their view that we don't represent them. We only represent the special interests, those that have the money and influence to set legislative agenda. So they say to me, why, you know, Senator McCain, you, you tell me how wonderful it is to serve the country. Tell me why I should vote. Why should I be involved? And if I want to be a senator like you, I'll, I'll have to raise nine, ten million dollars, whatever it is. I, I was just at a seminar and John Glenn, one of my heroes, an American hero, stood up. As you know, he retired from the Senate a couple of years ago and he said, you want to run in Ohio? First thing you better figure is you better raise nine, ten, twelve million dollars. What what young American thinks that they can do that? Uh, so I do believe that the money has a big uh, in, impact on it. And I think there's just one other thing: they're tired of politicians not telling them the truth. They can stand the truth. They can take it. Uh, but you know, you, you, too many politicians in America today want to. Uh, you know, spinning is lying, and they want to tell them what they want to hear rather than what is actually the truth, and then they become even more disenchanted. You think that the election cycle that we're currently in is going to be an important one to this country? I think this election could be very seminal. Uh, you know, the control of the Congress, both houses of Congress, is in play here. The presidency. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's given. What's at stake? Uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to rack my brain. I don't think that in recent years there's been an election where both houses of Congress and the presidency were really in play. I know that Bush has had a bad couple of weeks, but they're still basically in a statistical tie. Uh, all of these House seats, particularly in California, mm-hmm. you know, what happens in California could really, there's enough seats up for grabs in California that could determine control of the House of Representatives, which, by the way, is one of the reasons why I'm out there a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about uh, your work on the Senate Commerce Committee, which has had a pretty remarkable week. You have been involved this week in the whole issue of the Firestone tires and the highway transportation and safety issues. You've been involved in the issues concerning the airline industry and regulation there and also in terms of the entertainment industry, all of those things which have engendered hearings before your committee in the past week? Well, first of all, on the Bridgestone-Firestone thing, uh, um, you know, what was done by these companies is probably reprehensible. They probably had information that they didn't act on. But that uh, politicians, including me, like to do a lot of bashing. I'm focusing my attention on trying to get some legislation through the Congress before we get out that would prevent these kinds of things from happening again. Better notification, better enforcement, um, higher penalties, and a number of other things. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I really believe that the important thing for Congress to do now is to act legislatively. The courts are going to sort out a lot of this business of who's responsible and, and for how much. As far as, as the... Uh, Air traffic control system. I'm I'm very depressed to tell you, Jeff. I'm very worried about this increasing gridlock. There's just too many planes and too crowded in airspace with the antiquated air traffic control system with not enough places to land, including San Francisco, as you know, mm-hmm. the controversy about 
another runway, and I think uh, uh, there more and more Americans are going to be subject to uh, very uncomfortable and sometimes traumatic experience at airports because of the incredible delays. And as far as Hollywood's concerned, I want to emphasize to you, this hearing was about a Federal Trade Commission report that was requested by the President and me and Joel Heberman about marketing to children by the video game industry, the recording industry, and the movie industry. It wasn't about the content of any of their programs. I mean, you, you start talking about that, you get into uh, freedom of speech and right. First Amendment rights. And anyway, the FTC report was very damning, and they showed actual documents where particularly the movie studios had targeted kids as young as 10 years old, trying to attract them to attend movies that they themselves had determined as being unsuitable. And, and that, that's unfortunate. You know, it's really unfortunate. And then you say, what can be done? The only thing that I think that, first of all, I just hope that they would clean up their act, and I think there's going to be a lot of public opinion that, that would motivate them towards that. But the second thing is, as you might remember, as regards to the ta tobacco industry, the FTC found they engaged in fraudulent and deceptive practices. Right. That might apply uh, to the movie industry as well. I hope not. I hope that we just can, you know, get them get their act together and stop trying to market this stuff to young kids. Mm -hmm. But it's a very interesting issue, and it was interesting that none of the studio heads decided to show up. Uh, I made a bit of an issue of that, and we've heard already from about eight of them. They're going to come in a couple of weeks. Let me ask you a, kind of a partisan question, but, but, sure. but one I've been wondering about for a while particularly as it relates to the Bridgestone-Firestone mess and to the whole airline mess that you were talking about a few moments ago. You've been talking about various pieces of legislation. Your colleague, Bill Firth, has been talking about some legislation. Is not a lot of this problem a direct result of some of the excessive deregulation that went on during the Reagan administration? I think you could argue that it is a result of it, but that doesn't mean that deregulation is bad in that we are out overcrowding the system because more and more Americans are able to afford to fly from one place to another. Our job should be to accommodate that and rather than say, okay, we're going to raise prices so high that Americans can't afford it. What deregulation really did was lower prices to a point where more and more Americans were able to fly, plus this period of prosperity that we're in, which you have more and more Americans, not all, but more and more Americans are making enough money that they can book flights on airlines. I think the Congress, the, uh, the FAA, and the NIMBY problem uh, have contributed to this situation where the average delay on any flight in America today is 53 minutes. Any flight. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's really remarkable. So I I'm glad that deregulation made flights available to more Americans, but I also believe that we should have anticipated better perhaps this dramatic explosion. Look, I don't want to ruin your day, but <laughs> this year there's going to be 680 million Americans that will fly on yeah, flights around the United States of America. Within two years, that'll be up to a billion. There is no way that the present system can accommodate that. I mean, it's just, it's just not the, the Department of Transportation Inspector General, who is really a credible guy, <laughs> painted a very, very bleak, uh, bleak picture. You've got to not, I don't want to hammer San Francisco, so let's talk about Chicago. You've got Chicago O'Hare Airport, which so many Americans go through. There's a fight amongst politicians about whether they expand Chicago O'Hare or build another airport. 
outside Chicago, and they've been in gridlock for 10 years on it. Meanwhile, we now have a period of time where more flights are scheduled to take off out of Chicago O'Hare Airport than is physically possible. It's, if it were a perfect day and everything were working right, they still couldn't take off on time because they have more flights scheduled to take off that they can get onto the runway. See my point? Remarkable problem. Yeah. I know you've got to go. Let me ask you about uh, one last question. Sure. The president announced this week that later in November he's going to Vietnam. Your yep. thoughts about that? Well, I think the, we've normalized relations with Vietnam. I w- helped him in that effort. Um, I think that if he would like to visit Vietnam, that he has every right to go. I hope that he has an agenda for it, and I think he will. Uh, I won't. They asked me if I would go, and I I just was back there in April, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I'm not going to accompany the president. But I have no problem with him going to Vietnam. I hope and know that he will stress human rights, improvements in democracy, make progress towards elimination of corruption, and hopefully the people of Vietnam will will be their lives will be improved from his visit. At least I hope so. And how's your health, Senator? Uh, much better. Uh, everyone who's listening, please wear sunscreen. Please wear a hat. Uh, and uh, if you have any moles or any discoloration, be sure and see a doctor to make sure that you don't have to go through a five-and-a-half-hour operation like I did. Senator, indeed a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be with you again. Thank you so much. See you. Bye. Bye.